In the now world-famous Heidi versus Howard study, researchers gave one group of people the resume of a highly successful entrepreneur named Heidi Rosen. A second group were presented with exactly the same resume, but Heidi's real name was substituted for Howard. Now, both groups assessed Heidi and Howard as equally competent candidates for a job, which is good news considering this was the same person's resume. But while Howard was described in glowing social terms, Heidi was assumed to be selfish. The people participating in the experiment, both men and women, described Heidi as not the type of person you would want to hire or work for. The word bitch was even used by some participants. When a woman lands a leadership position, the job description is the same as the man who usually had it before her. However, as the Heidi versus Howard study shows us, a woman boss's experience is likely to be quite different. In this episode, I'll be chatting to Forbes columnist and confidence coach Margie Worrell, former Australian netball captain Liz Ellis, and the co-author of Celebrating Women, Kirsten Ferguson. Together, we'll be delving into all things boss lady, what it means to be one, how you'll be treated when you are one, and how to push past the confidence barrier to greatness. My name's Jamila Rizvi, and this episode of the Future Women podcast is I'm not bossy, I'm the boss. More women have the opportunity to drive change. If someone says, I'm not a feminist, I ask, what is your problem? We must do better. So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. I much prefer a female boss because I feel like I can go to her for anything personally. I prefer a male boss. I definitely think there should be more female bosses. I think female bosses are in some cases more empathetic. Female bosses are uh, in general uh, underestimated. Uh, I think that probably dates back to the stereotype where um, you know women are considered to be emotional leaders. Uh, but I think that's steadily changing. Women and men leaders face a really different set of standards. We're judged in a different way and according to different rules. Part of the reason for this is something called role congruity. While women bosses are growing in number, they remain unusual. Women in high-profile positions are still achieving firsts. A country's first woman prime minister, a company's first woman CEO, a charity's first woman managing director. So when women reach these positions of power, they attract a brighter spotlight than if they were men. It means that when they falter, more of us are watching. A colleague once remarked to me that a rubbish bloke politician is one of many, but a rubbish woman politician, well, she's the reason women shouldn't be in parliament. This double standard runs deep. This is Ban Bossy. Take one. Pushy. Stubborn. Stubborn. Pushy. Pushy. Stubborn. Stubborn. Bossy. 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 Too bossy, too bitchy and too emotional. We know that when a woman acts and speaks with the same level of assertiveness as a man, she'll be called bossy. 
he'll just be called assertive. <laughs> um, when women, you know, can sometimes make a tough call, women can be thought of as being a bitch, whereas a guy can just be thought of as he made a tough call. Uh, women who are ambitious, uh, that's, that's correlated far more negatively for women, ambition, than it is for men. And likewise, you know, women who are emotional, when men can be emotional, we kind of applaud, oh, look, he's being vulnerable, isn't that wonderful? It's great to see a man in touch with his feelings and his soft side. For a woman, it can be seen as, whoa, she's, you know, <laughs> she needs to rein it in. So there's all these different, you know, double binds that women find themselves. You know, women who are obviously seen as highly competent aren't seen as likable, whereas a man can be seen as highly competent and likable. So recognizing all of these double binds, all of these, you know, two different benchmarks, yardsticks that women are judged by versus men, they're the sort of things that women have got to deal with and contend with. That's Margie Worrell. She's an executive coach and columnist for Forbes magazine. She's also the author of a book called Brave. She explains that women leaders can be disliked for displaying the very attributes that are required for effective leadership. Being women, they're expected to behave in the same stereotypically feminine way that other women employees are. They have to be kind and caring, supportive of others. They must be likeable and contribute to a pleasant working environment for everyone. But being bosses, they also have to exert authority, which is a traditionally masculine activity. When a boss makes decisions, it isn't always possible to please all parties. This means that when women are in leadership positions, they face a really complex trade-off. They can either live up to people's expectations of their gender, or they can live up to people's expectations of their position. They can't do both. You work a year for her and you can get a job at any magazine you want. You have no style or sense of fashion. I, I, no, no. That wasn't a question. Former Australian netball captain Liz Ellis says that it's important not to give in to stereotypes. I guess my experience is a little coloured by the fact that I play a sport that is run by women predominantly, for women predominantly. So throughout my childhood and then my formative years, I saw really strong women leaders, you know, running netball associations, um, leading teams, running national associations, state bodies, that sort of thing. So... All through my, my childhood and my formative years, I've been surrounded by women who are incredibly strong, capable leaders. So that is where I get my idea of what a good woman leader is. And those sort of stereotypes that you hear are just laughable. Women do have different strengths and think they bring to management and to leadership. That's not to say all women manage differently to men. And of course, there's a whole array of different attributes uh, and character traits that that each of us as individuals bring. But women are naturally that bit more collaborative. Women are very perceptive. Women are more inclined to try and find a win-win outcome and get everybody on board. That's, as I said, that's not to say that men don't, but certainly that's something that, that women, uh, because we are wired, even our brains biologically, our brains are different than men's. And we are, we are the, the part of the brain that processes emotion and tunes into the emotions of others is like a five-lane highway uh, compared to, to men's that isn't, you know, as big and doesn't develop as early. And so women tend to be tuned in far more to how other people are feeling. We like to have harmony in a group. So we're, we tend to work more to creating 
harmony within a group and to, to you know, addressing things that could cause tension and conflict uh, versus saying it's my way or the highway, we're going to do it this way, that more command and control sort of I'm going to win and that more competitive approach to things. While it can be helpful to talk about feminine and masculine leadership styles, the truth is that most leaders exhibit some combination of the two. Women tend to mix nurturing and participatory leadership with more direct and goal-orientated action when it's required. This is because they've witnessed the backlash against women leaders who are deemed too masculine in their approach, so they attempt to avoid being labelled in the same way. Or it may be that women have simply found that this sort of androgynous approach is actually a more effective way to manage. Focusing in on gender... Obviously, there is, we know, there's a gender gap. There's, there's, you know, the pay gap. There's, there's all sorts of uh, types where there is inequality between the genders. However, research even shows that when we sort of look at things just purely through a gender lens, it can actually do everyone a disservice. You know, at the core of it, we are human beings. Um, and we, 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 we all possess masculine and feminine traits. And when we just kind of look at things through the lens of gender, it can be like us against them. One is better, one is worse. And I think that we've got to be careful not to kind of, as, as people go into the work think, well, I am a woman. You know, what is what is it you want to do? Who is it that you want to be regardless of what your gender is? And when we define ourselves and we're kind of looking at things through much, very much through just that, well, I'm a female in a male-dominated workplace, it can actually create barriers. It can sometimes fuel uh, some of the, the differences that, that women feel they can go, well, I'm different than the men this way versus what is it for you to be at your best in the workplace regardless of of your gender? What is it for you to add maximum amount of value regardless of your gender? And regardless of gender, being a boss, it's really hard work. It's a task made more difficult because there is rarely explicit training on how to do it well. The transition from employee to manager can be a brutal one. Management is a skill like any other. It takes practice. When you're really good at your job, then the promotion to a management role seems like the next logical step. But it can rattle your confidence when you find that the skills needed to do a job and the skills needed to support others to do that job are really quite different. I think the key to being a leader of women is the key to being a leader of anyone. I think leadership um, of men and women really, it doesn't really matter what gender you're leading. It's just about being a good leader. And for me, it's things like great communication. And great communication doesn't mean telling people what to do. It's actually quite the opposite. It's listening to your teammates, listening to the people who you're leading and figuring out with them how they can, um, you know, help get you to where you want to get to. And I think I started off being, the sort of leader who wanted to micromanage everything and tell everyone the answers. Um, whereas I learned to be a leader who got the answers from my teammates who let people um, sort of make their own direction and, and contribute to the team. So, um, you know, communication is a key thing. Um, the ability to let go and the ability to delegate is key as well. You know, you've got to trust your teammates and you don't know all the answers, then you aren't the smartest person in the room, but that's okay. You're able to bring together all the smartest people in the room or the team and get them to go in the, in the right direction. So that's about managing people and it's about listening to them, about understanding what their goals are, how to get the best out of them. Um, and again, that does again come back to communication, the ability to talk to your teammates, but crucially to listen to them. Liz Ellis says that women put a lot of pressure on themselves to be perfect from day one. Now, it's great to have high standards. But she also advises that you need to cut yourself a break. 
making mistakes, it doesn't have to be terminal. One of the best things I ever got told was that if you don't make mistakes, you don't make discoveries. And that's hard to understand when you're, you know, if you're a woman in a corporate environment. And I've worked in that corporate environment. I've, I was a lawyer for nearly five years. So I understand how horrible and alienating that can be. But I also understand now with the benefit of hindsight that mistakes are okay. It's important to remember that your mistakes are just that, mistakes. They don't mean that you yourself are a mistake or a failure. We need to be careful not to give in to our inner critic because ultimately that inner critic is only going to hold us back. Our inner critic is fueled by fear that's wired into us to keep us safe and to protect us from pain and anxiety and criticism and rejection and all of those all of those uh, circumstances that can leave us feeling inadequate in some way. So just recognising your inner critic comes from a place of trying to protect you. It doesn't want you to put yourself out there because if you don't put yourself out there, then you don't have to risk the possibility of failing and feeling foolish and losing face. So just acknowledge that your inner critic is just trying to keep you safe. And I think sometimes instead of berating that inner critic, we befriend it and we just say, okay, I got it. You're trying to keep me safe. You don't want me to speak up, stick my neck out. Margie Worrell says that it's time to get brave. Too often I think I see women who are letting the inner critic guide their decisions versus saying, you know, what's the big me want? What's the bravest part of me want? Connect with that that bravest part of you, that inner brave heart, and then move toward that. And I think each of us, when we do that, uh, over time, we realise that that inner critic is is just a voice that it, it's, it may be trying to protect us, but it's going to keep us playing a really small game. We talk about sexism against women in leadership positions a lot. There's the sexism that comes from within, the internalised bias, which warns us we might not be good enough. And of course, there's the sexism that comes from men, blokes who think we're not up to the role or assume that because we don't operate precisely like they do, that we're wrong. But what about the sexism that comes from other women colleagues? How do we wrap our heads around that? One of my favourite movies as a kid growing up was Working Girl with Sigourney Weaver and Melanie Griffiths and I don't know if anyone listening remembers that movie. But I loved it because um, it showed these great female strong characters. Tess, you know, you don't get anywhere in this world by waiting for what you want to come to you. You make it happen. Watch me, Tess. Learn from me. You also could only have one of them succeed. So it was the classic Queen Bee type film where you know they're competing for the man, they're competing for the job and all of that sort of thing. Growing up with that and many other movies and different stereotypes, when I then saw an issue with a woman in the workplace, that's when you think, oh, well, that's confirming my view that that must be true. I think we can all play a part in questioning that bias or that old um, uh, story in our heads that that's what happens and really think about, well, is that true and how, who are all the other women in my life? And, in fact, if I didn't have the 99% of other women supporting me, I'm not sure that I would have even got to this position. So it's not getting distracted by the one occasion where you might remember, but thinking about the vast majority of times where that hasn't been the case. Kirsten Ferguson is the author of a new book called Celebrating Women. It's a book that flies in the face of the myth that women are one another's worst enemies at work. She says this is a harmful stereotype that simply doesn't play out in reality. Sure, some women aren't very nice at the office. Same as some men aren't very nice at the office. 
Part of the problem, Kirsten says, is that we sometimes see our success as a one-shot game. That if another woman does well or is promoted, that means we won't do well or there will be less opportunities for us, when actually the opposite is true. I don't think it's true that women see each other as a threat in the workplace. I think just as likely you're going to have a, a man that you work with that you might see as a threat. I I don't think women are perfect by no stretch of the imagination. We're human, just like uh, men, of course. Uh, and so there will be women and men that you have challenges working with, but it's it's not accurate to say that, as a general rule, women should feel threatened by other women. Um, one of the things I've learned through the Celebrating Women campaign that I am just want us all to be thinking about, because I think we're doing it every day, is that we need to forget this old saying that if you should be so successful and get to the top of the ladder, you need to drop the ladder down for other women coming behind you. I firmly believe we need to forget the bloody ladder the ladder only ever helps one person at a time. And in fact, it's designed so that you hold on for dear life so you don't fall off blocking anyone behind you. So what I've learned through celebrating women and what I think we can all do is throw down a fishing net and bring up many, many women with us together, all holding the sides. Sometimes you'll be in the net and you'll be lifted up. But either way, I think we really need to forget this idea that there's only room for one woman at the top because the more we realise we'll all benefit from us all rising together. Margie says we need to be wary of the social conditioning that means we see other women as competition, but don't necessarily judge men in the same way. Women do tend to be more jealous of other women and we do tend to compare ourselves that much more with other women than we do with men. Uh, And so it may be a male colleague who gets the job and it wouldn't trigger often the same level of jealousy as if it's a female colleague who got the job ahead of us. And that's just that's just very natural human behavior where we, you know, just tend to compare ourselves more with those we see in our in-group. You know, they're they're my gender. So or if they're your age or you went to school with them, even more so we, we make those comparisons with people we have the most Um, affinity with and most in common with so if you are finding yourself feeling jealous just one acknowledge it you're human and uh, be kind to yourself in that moment because often when someone gets a break that we don't get particularly if we feel it's not fair that we were more deserving then it can really you know strike at that the heart of that, that sense of injustice like that's not fair I feel I feel very wronged Um, But sometimes it's not even that. We might go, you know what, they're really good at what they do. They got recognised for it and we're still jealous, even if we think it's fair. And I think that speaks to our own vulnerability where we tend to focus on when we make comparisons as women, we tend to compare our weaknesses with other people's strengths, what we haven't done with what what they have done, the experience we don't have, the experience they do. And so just be careful you don't get pulled down into a negative spiral of negative comparisons because they don't do you any favours. Competition can be a good thing. Competition is something that fuels us to be our best. Liz Ellis cautions that we just need to make sure that the competition is healthy. Sometimes I think society wants to sell women's competitiveness as, you know, a cat fight or something like that. Whereas being competitive is awesome, especially with people who you really respect and admire. Being competitive with them is great. I don't think we should shy away from the fact that within teams, competitiveness is good. Um, I think being competitive within a team actually creates a really strong team. A good example of that is that, you know, when I was um, playing in my club team with the Swifts, we would have half court against each other. 
um, and at training on a so Tuesday or a Thursday night, and I would play against Kath Cox, and we would beat the living daylights out of each other in half court because I knew that if I went hard against her and she went hard against me, that by the time we actually hit opposition on the weekend, they would be a bit easier because they, would, they wouldn't be as good as we were and there would be umpires to stop <laughs> to stop us getting beaten up. So, you know, I think competition within a team is actually really good as long as it's healthy, as long as you understand that it's not being taken personally. It's there to make you better. It all comes down to people and relationships. One of the hardest parts of being the boss is the management of people. The actual stuff of doing the job is generally something that you've already mastered. When you're promoted and have to take on the challenge of helping other people be their best, as well as being your own, that's where it gets kind of tricky. But how you engage with the people around you, your contemporaries, your seniors and your juniors, will be the making of you in a management role. It's your greatest opportunity for failure, but most importantly, it's your greatest opportunity for success. So take the time. Nurture your relationships. Don't underestimate the power of the interpersonal. Here's some brilliant final advice from Margie. So if you are managing people for the very first time and you are feeling a little bit out of your league or out of your depth or perhaps a whole lot, firstly, I would just encourage you to trust yourself that you can do more than you think, that you are more capable than you think, uh, and not to let uh, that self-doubt keep you from starting strong. So start strong, step into your role with confidence. And if you don't feel confident, pretend you're confident. You know, just 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 act as if you were more confident than, than you perhaps are feeling. Secondly, uh, it's all about the relationships. Get out and connect with people, talk to people, make sure people feel heard because building trust in relationships, making sure those around you feel valued is going to be your number one currency of influence. My name is Jamila Rizvi and you've been listening to the Future Women podcast. Please join us next week to unpack some of the issues about returning to work after having a baby. Perhaps you're confused by childcare entitlements or you want some more information on parental leave. Maybe you're anxious about what motherhood means for your career or how to make the all-important transition back to the office. Perhaps you just want some tips on where to buy the best stretchy pants. Whatever it is, we're here for the chat. And in the meantime, why not check out our great back catalogue of episodes? You can listen to them wherever you get your podcasts, be it on Apple or Android. And if you've got a moment, please take time to rate and review us. Maybe even give us a cheeky five stars.